Well, good morning and welcome to worship, whether we're here in the sanctuary or in our own homes. We gather together in God's presence to worship Him and to hear His Word. Um, it's great that we're able to um, still do this. Um, we perhaps have heard that there's obviously going to be a whole new set of regulations coming in um, a week tomorrow. It's quite likely that Lanarkshire will be under the top category. Um, but thankfully, churches will still be allowed to be open, and as long as we have 20 thereabouts in the sanctuary here, then we should be able to be fine, okay? And the good thing about that is that will allow our fellowship groups to continue to meet in the sanctuary, and also the church to continue to be open for private prayer, and also for the devotionals, Tuesday and Thursday between 10 and 12, and a Wednesday evening at half past seven. And particularly for those who are working, then please do take note of the Wednesday evening. You'd be welcome to come here and just sit quietly in the sanctuary for a time of peace and quiet, and then also to just very briefly reflect on God's Word. So we want to thank all those who've been involved technically in all of this, but particularly I'd want to thank Gregor, um, who's sitting up in the balcony, um, because um, he's put a lot of work into all of this, um, getting this set up over yesterday and last week, and we do want to express our appreciation to him for, for doing that, so that people at home and we here can at least in one way or another join together. The book of the prophet Isaiah, God's word to us. And I've put my phone on, which I shouldn't have done, so I'm going to put it off. That's it. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money in what is not bread, or your labor in what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen, that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. And our prayer is that wherever God's word is shared today and up and down our land, it will indeed go forth and will not return empty but will accomplish the purpose that God has desired for it. We're going to sit here or sit at home, and we're going to follow a worship song now, whatever that one may be. And Lord God, we pray as our leaders decide things for us, and as we often feel we have no control, that we would know that it is indeed you who have the control, and that they are indeed moving according to your will, not their own. 
And we pray that that would give us comfort, Lord, knowing that even though we are not in control, that someone who looks out for all of our good is, and that he knows everything about us and will look out for our good. And we pray for our families, for our loved ones, for our neighbors and friends, for all of us who are together and apart, whether in spirit or in word or in deed. And we thank you that we are able to meet online and in prayer and in so many other ways that would have been unimaginable a generation ago, Lord. And we thank you for that. And we pray that you would bless our time together, however it may be, as we move into this winter. And from your word, Lord, as the Apostle Paul writes, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, your beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And it's in your Son's name we pray, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Eric. I had uh, I took time on Friday afternoon, I you the weekend, at least yesterday, wasn't to be very good, so I took time on Friday afternoon to continue to try and clear the garden for the coming winter. I don't have my um, gardener in residence anymore, so it's up to, to me to have to do the donkey work. And I hasten to add, just in case he's watching this online, because he may be, he did it last week, I have to say to Colin, it's not any of the bits that he had to deal with in the garden. It was two areas of the garden I've been clearing that really were left to me, and therefore they're overgrown. One was in one corner of the garden, where there was an old black currant bush and everything else, and I've been tidying that up. And the one's another corner of the garden, the garden near the lane, if you know the garden, the man's garden. There's a lane at the back, and there's an old, I think it's an elder tree, it's nothing, not particularly fancy as a tree, um, it's good point is that, well, now it's covered practically completely in ivy, and it provides an ideal place for birds to nest. And so we have a pair of robins that nest in there, and we also have at other times of the year, obviously the springtime, other birds. And so it's a good, it's pretty ugly looking thing, but it's covered with ivy, it looks quite green, and it's a home for, for some of God's creatures. 
But I can tell you, when I was having a clearance, I found out a lot of other things lying about in this bit that had become overgrown at the bottom. Some, a couple of bushes that had been put in, say, 20 years ago, um, certainly have got past their sell-by date and, and certainly needed pruned. In fact, more than just pruned, uh, I filled the two bins. We have two recycling bins, so they're both full. Uh, I have an old uh, wheelbarrow that I use for a bonfire. It's got a pile of stuff on it, and there's another pile lying in the grass. Uh, my bins were so full a fortnight ago, the recycling, that the man in the lorry actually took a photograph of them. Um, not for posterity, but in case I phoned up and complained as to why he didn't take them, because he didn't take them, because they were so full. So I know I have to try not to have too much stuff, so I'm spreading it around at little piles, and sooner or later I'll get rid of them. But I found a spade. I don't know when that spade went there, but I found a spade lying under a pile of stuff. Um, I found a sorted, I have to, this is, I know I'm conscious now two things are going online, so I have to watch what I say. Um, but let's just say sometimes the remains of a chicken go out into the garden for one of God's creatures to have a nibble. Well, I found a few trays belonging to a few chickens from the past lying in the corner. I also very clearly scented why they were lying there, because obviously the foxes have been making that a little den. And so there's been a major tidy up and, of course, you discover that there's a problem. The problem is this beautiful ivy that's crawling up the tree. That's fine, but it's also crawling everywhere else. So if MD has an answer, a weed color, or some other way of getting rid of ivy, then do let me know, because I'm going to have to t launch a war against its spreading tentacles. Cutting things back, of course, they're always risky, especially this time of year, because, of course, we could have a terrible winter and they might not come back. But it's a risk worth taking, because if I don't do something about it now, by next year, well, I'll be having a, let's say, a manager's work party to go up and tidy up, because it'll be beyond what I could do. But there's always a risk, isn't there? There's always a risk. Life is full of risk. And over these past months, as Evan very helpful in his opening prayer, reminded us, we've all faced challenges where, in many ways, things have been cut back. I mean, it is a bit ridiculous, you know, but in theory, we could have, at the moment, um, up to 50 people. I'm not even sure we'd get 50 in here spaced out. And then if anybody else turned up, we'd have to say at the door, the church is full. Of course, it's not full. We've had to cut back how many we can have in here. And as I say, from a week on Sunday, probably certainly a fortnight's time, this is all we'll be able to have. We'll certainly not be able to have any more. Our own lives have been cut back. Some of us, especially those of us who are older and are, are retired, perhaps have found that we've not been able to pick up the things we would want to do, to enter into the activities we want to do. And those of us who are working, and we were out yesterday with friends for coffee, thought we'd better take the chance before we're not even allowed to do that. But we met friends for coffee yesterday, and she has been working very hard. She oversees a healthcare project for those who are, are, are vulnerable in various ways, and she's been run off her feet. And she's completely worn out. Those of us who are teachers will be feeling the same strain, the demands. And in a sense, that has cut back our life. We probably don't have any energy or inclination to do much else because of the pressures laid upon us. It's a time when everything's been thrown up in the air, and we just wonder what the springtime will bring and whether some things will ever come back. Some things won't. We talk about the new normal. Some things in our life, some things within our community, and I have to say some things even within the life of the church will never return. But you things will grow up. One of the reasons I cleared this corner of the garden is there are other plants there who over the last few years have increasingly been affected because they've been choked out. 
There's been a lack of sunlight. Other things have taken over. And my hope is that with given more air and light and some more freedom to, to grow, then there can be new beginnings. And some of the things can begin to flourish the way they were meant to flourish. And looking for things to be positive, rightly so through all of this, that's what God is doing in the life of His church and amongst His people. It's a time of pruning, a time of cutting back, but it's also a time where you things will flourish. Some things will never return, as I say, but you things, even things like this and the internet and everything else, will flourish. How should we pray in the midst of all of that? Well, last couple of Sundays, we've been looking at Paul's prayer in Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to continue to do that today from the passage that Evan read to us. And Paul, he is praying for Christians who themselves were going through challenging times. As I said last Sunday, uh, we, we must remember that things weren't perfect for them. It wasn't a holiday camp that they were in. It wasn't paradise, a version of the Garden of Eden that they were in. There was challenges in their life. They had the normal domestic challenges, which we all have, a family. They had worries about their work. Some of them perhaps were slaves. It would suggest that they were, because Paul makes reference to that towards the end of his letter. Others were masters in business and were involved and responsible perhaps for many people. And there was all the ebb and flow of life just as we have it now. And of course, they had no national health service, no antibiotics, and nothing that prevented illnesses, relatively minor illnesses, from, of course, having a terrible impact on their lives and on their families. And Paul's writing to these Christians with the, the sense of more trouble going to happen, and persecution was going to begin to increase. And he's writing to us, in a sense. We're wondering what the winter's going to bring and what, and what the future's going to have. And we perhaps have perhaps even a sense of foreboding. And Paul's writing to these Christians to encourage them that, to remember, as again, Evan helpfully reminded us in our prayer, that there is one who is sovereignly in charge, who works all things together for good with those who love him and are called according to his purpose, and who is building up his church and not even the gates of hell, let alone COVID-19, will prevail against it. And that's why he says, picking up in verse 9, he says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. He, what can we pray about? What should we be praying for in the midst of this time for each other and for the church and our nation and our world? We need to pray that we'll get to know Jesus better. One of the positive aspects they say about lockdown, either in the past or perhaps what we're going to enter into over the next couple of weeks in November, is that we're supposed to have time to be able to do other things. As I say, that's all very well if you're maybe not in work, because if you are in work, you've got even less time. But at least it's supposed to, so they say, these people that seem to know what they don't know, that they have some idea that we'll be able to grow in trying things out. And of course, there was a whole host of things went online, especially back in the springtime, people trying out new cooking recipes, new forms of exercise at home, um, new ways of doing things. Well, our prayer should be that through this time, God's people 
will grow in their knowledge of Jesus Christ, the one in whom, Paul tells us in Colossians, all the wisdom and mysteries of God are revealed to get to know Jesus better. And that has a purpose. The same way as I prune back and cut back in the garden so that in the springtime there'll be you growth and a you opportunity for things to begin to develop. So there's a purpose, and that's what we're thinking about particularly this morning, where he says in verse 10, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Now, I'm sure many of us are only too well aware that we can know stuff and yet be pretty, still pretty handless. I'm pretty handless when it comes to practical things and, and making things or building things. I'm certainly not an engineer or a painter and decorator. If in years past you saw my efforts at painting and decorating, you would well know why I get a painter and decorator to come in and do it. Um, I, you know, and I could read about it, and without being big-headed, I'm sufficiently able and knowledgeable to be able to understand in my head how something is done. Is this causing a bit of a, okay? Um, how things can be done in my head. Oh, that's quite logical. But when it actually comes to it, well, as I say, leave it to the professionals. That's what I say. This knowledge isn't meant to be something that's just stored away in here. This knowledge is not some vague sort of mystical insight. That's part of the challenge the church in Colossae was facing. There was a growing movement within the church, or at least round about the church, known as Gnosticism, which said that knowing Jesus is all very well, but really you need to know more. There are secrets that you need to be accessed into. Paul's saying, no, Jesus in Him, all the wisdom and understanding and knowledge of God is revealed, but that's got a purpose. It's to be seen in how we live, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. How can we live a life worthy of the Lord at the present time? How can we please Him in every way? in our working lives, in the pressures and demands that we face, or yes, in our quiet times when we're on our own and we find that perhaps a real burden to bear. How can we live a life worthy of the Lord? Well, we can do that, and if you, well, if you have your Bibles, if you want just to flick to chapter 3 of, of this letter, Paul gives us some insight as to how we might do that. At the beginning of chapter 3, Paul writes this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. How can we live a life worthy of the Lord? Well, we can live a life worthy of the Lord by setting our hearts and our minds, our emotions, and how we think on higher things. It's very easy, isn't it, to be pulled down by what we hear. It's very easy to be overwhelmed by what we hear. I personally think, and I know not everybody would necessarily agree with this, I think we could do with a lot less of the first minister, the prime minister, cabinet ministers, and scientists appearing on our telly practically every day, telling us the same thing. And it can just become overwhelming. I certainly don't listen to them. And I strongly advise you not to listen to them unless there's something special, and you'll soon hear if there is something special when you have to listen. It could just become overwhelming. And it has within our society. 
Many people are living in lockdown in their minds and in how they feel. They can't see beyond themselves or their own little home. And they, 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 they live with a constant fear that, well, the world's going to end tomorrow. Well, it might, of course. But God doesn't intend for us to be so obsessed and so taken down a road that leads nowhere that we can't see out and up and beyond. But in Jesus Christ, God's given us the resources to do that to set our hearts, to set our minds, how we feel and how we think on a higher plane. And this is not some, as I say, vague kind of mystical thing. This is seeing things from God's perspective. The God who, again, Evan reminds us in prayer, is sovereignly in charge. He's not running frit of COVID-19. And he causes people not to be like that either to have that assurance, to have that confidence, to have that knowledge that the sovereign God is control and he is working his purposes out through all that's happening in the world. I'm conscious this morning, there's some people here, well, not many, in fact, maybe only one, who lived through the last war. And things were a lot worse then than they are now. And we could easily have been overwhelmed as a nation then by what might or might not happen. Perhaps one of the reasons it didn't was because we didn't have our political leaders on the radio all the time, or the pundits telling us, speculating as to what might or might not happen. Ignorance can be blessed sometimes. The one who's hoping the Lord is very different. Listen again to Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but who delights in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither whatever they do prospers. How do we bear fruit for God? How do we live a life pleasing of him? Will we meditate in God's law? We seek by the Spirit to grow in our understanding, to have that mind of Christ, so that when we hear things and see things, we begin to think through things. We use our mind, our God-given up here. We allow our emotions to be controlled by that, to be determined by that, and not by the fears and speculations that might go on round about us. That is how we can please a lot, the Lord, live a life worthy of the Lord in these days. Where we set our hearts and our minds and things above, not on earthly things. But we also can please God in these days by thinking of others. Look at verse 12 of chapter 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I was listening the other day to uh, the interview on the radio, it was in the morning, the, the, the 8 o'clock news program on Radio 4, and they were interviewing round about that. They were interviewing a, a Welsh lady, an older lady, who had, of course, lived through the previous lockdown, and now, of course, as you know, at the moment in Wales, they are going through a similar experience, not for so long, hopefully, but, uh, but very similar. And they were asking this elderly lady, how did she cope? She has her health concerns. She's not as fit as she used to be. She can't walk very fast. She's got osteoporosis. She's got a wee scooter. 
But interesting, what was very encouraging was she said that she was a part of a church, Bethel Chapel in the town or village in Wales where she lived. And how even during the last lockdown, they had kept in touch and they had gone for walks and, and she couldn't have walked very far, but where the folk walked, she was able to take her scooter. So she just sat in her scooter and they walked beside her and they put their backpacks and whatever on the back of her wee scooter and she was able to get out. And she said, and she said, you know, and she said, the, the interviewer said, what is the secret perhaps not to, you know, to be overwhelmed by whatever? And she said, well, you know, she, she said, stop thinking about yourself and start thinking of others. So she said, I got to know the one or two folks in the fellowship of the church and in the community who really couldn't go out. She said, now we go to the shops and my wee scooter and get our mess their messages. And then we'll get my coffee out of the, you know, the, the takeaway and go on my wee scooter back to the house and give over their messages and sit outside in the scooter and have my coffee, and they'd sit at the door and have a coffee and have a wee blather. She says, that made all the difference. How do we live a life worthy of the Lord in a time like this? We stop thinking about ourselves. Now, I'm sure you, dear friends, you don't do that, but it is easy. We stop thinking about ourselves. This lockdown mentality once again, which is not of God but of the devil, and we think of others, our families. Many of us have people that we are responsible for, and we have to think of others. We don't have time to be sitting. But some of us, we've got perhaps too many retired and older people now in the church where we have too much time, perhaps. And very easily, it can all just come down to ourselves. What does Paul say is God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, with patience, bear with each other. See, the whole context is a corporate thing. Lift the phone, send a text, shout through a letterbox, wave through a window, whatever. How do we live a life worthy of the Lord? We think of others. We set our minds on that which is above, and that controls our emotions and keeps them in check. And we look out to others and seek to discern how, even in these days, we might bring the grace and the mercy of God to bear. So Paul's prayer is, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. Notice I haven't mentioned all about the other things. Put to death, therefore, what belongs to sexual immorality and purity of lust. That's a very real battle. But actually, positively, I'm trying to think of how today, I'm not suggesting any of us sitting certainly here, I'm going to be running out and running away with somebody. Never you are, never you are, of course. We better read that wee section between 5 and verse 11 then. Don't do it. But positively, practically, yes, we have to turn away from that which is wrong, but we have to also embrace that which is good and right. That's how we can live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. I'm told that we're having a very fruitful autumn. Certainly the little apple tree that we have in the garden certainly bore witness to that. We had more apples almost than we knew what to do with our folks next door. The people next door have an apple tree of eating apples. And really it was very sad to see them all just lying in the ground because they're not really that keen in apples, I don't think. And there was too much for them to deal with. Similarly, the trees in many parts anyway of our country are bursting with seeds and the little seeds are falling to the ground and it's, they're, they're just bursting full of life. Even in the midst of death, even in the midst of autumn, they're thinking of life and new beginnings and the new year. Isn't that nature speaking to us? God through nature speaking to us of hope and of the life that, is, that will come. 
were living in a very fruitful autumn. And my friends, we too can be fruitful. How are we fruitful? Of course, we're fruitful with the fruit of the Spirit, the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and kindness and goodness and godliness and self-control. But we're also fruitful. As we live out like that, we model Jesus. Where are people going to see Jesus? In our communities, in the situations we work with, the people that we know who are godless and indifferent perhaps, well, they're only going to see Jesus ultimately in us. And that's how we're fruitful. The nature of Jesus is increasingly seen in us. And as we bring into conversations and discussions just a word of godly common sense and of hope and not of fear or of anger or of indifference. So that you may live, live a life worthy of the Lord, please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. It's often when we're forced to actually do something that we discover that we can, isn't it? I remember seeing somebody many years ago when I started, when we got a, a car first of all. My dad, he was like me, he was pretty hopeless. And I don't honestly think I ever saw him change a wheel in all the years that I, he had a car because he never just was hopeless at doing it. And I thought, well, therefore, I'll not be able to do it. But I remember um, way back in my first charge in Mount Vernon, the tire was flat. And we didn't at that point have, or at least I didn't think, I don't know why I didn't think of phoning the REC. We do actually have. In fact, I've had a thing with REC for about 30 years. But for some reason, I didn't think of phoning them. So I was going to have to, and I thought, well, I'll never do this. And the sense of satisfaction when I finally got that wheel off, I have to say I got a wee bit exasperated in the process, and I wouldn't like to try it now, but I'm an old man now, so I've got excuses. Um, but then I was quite chuffed. In fact, I was so chuffed that I thought I should really just leave this wheel off for a wee while to show people that I can actually do it. And I thought, well, that's not much point, is it? And so I got the spare put on, and, and when I got it on, and even better, when I ran down the road to the garage and the spare the wheel, the spare wheel didn't fall off, I was really chuffed. It worked. I could change a tire. What have we learned that by God's grace we can do over these past months? Or by God's grace we've learned that we don't need to do over these past months? Growing in the knowledge of God, again, is not some ethereal thing. It's a practical, impacting thing on life, on growing in our understanding of who God is and what it means to have a relationship with Him. Remember Paul just writing to the Philippians, just in the letter before, in our Bibles before this, remember what he says, whatever gains were to me in Philippians 3 and verse 7, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, verse 7 of chapter 3 in Philippians. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage, fit for the bin, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And then he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. 
There's no gain without pain, they say, and we grow in the knowledge of God as we face the pains and hassles and problems of life, particularly over these past months, and allow God to creatively use them to mature us, to deepen our trust in Him, to draw us closer to Him in prayer and in fellowship. And that's why it's important that we, in our own homes, but also every opportunity we have, gather around God's Word, that we grow in that knowledge of Him. So, what do we pray for others? What do we pray for ourselves? That we may life, live lives worthy of the Lord. What does that mean? as we end October 2020 in the midst of this ongoing crisis with no great likelihood, at least for the most of us, of anything changing dramatically until next year. We allow our minds and our hearts to be lifted up and not to be pulled down and locked down. We want to please Him in every way. Well, we can continue, as I hope we already are doing, to be thoughtful of others to look out and to ask God, how can I be a blessing to someone in this present situation, or certainly over these next few weeks, when probably we will go back into some kind of lockdown situation in November. What does it mean to bear fruit in these situations, in our schools, with children who are probably suffering, some of whom are living in homes which are chaotic and desperate? practically, financially struggling, apart from anything else. As I've said before, it's all right if you're living out in Balfron or Bearsden or even Uddingston and saying you should do this, that, and other. Some of the real realities of what it means for people in the real situation, God wants us as believers to be aware of that and to be sensitive to that and to respond as we can to that. And growing in the knowledge of God. That's something we can all do. And we can, in a one sense, in a human sense, all be good at, whoever we are. Whatever natural skills we may have or we may not have, all of us can grow in the knowledge of God. That's what we can be praying about this week for others and for ourselves. We're going to see a song now, which is a response to God's Word. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we pray for your church in our world. We think of believers in Nigeria particularly in Lagos, but also in other cities in Nigeria that are going through a time of major upheaval, demonstrations, expressions of deepening frustration against the corruption that there is within the civil powers. And we pray for your church in Nigeria, very large and in many ways quite influential. We pray that they would have that mind of Christ, that they would be able to see things with that divine perspective so that they're not tossed about by the various arguments and shouts, whether it's from the civil powers or whether it's for the demonstrators on the street. We pray for your church and for believers, that their hearts and minds may be fixed in that which is above 
and therefore they might be able to bear witness to you in the midst of the chaos that that country could easily descend into. We pray for the very small scattering of believers that are in Afghanistan and Kabul, where just yesterday there was a massive suicide bomb where tens of people, and if not more, were killed. And that goes on almost on a daily basis. We get so caught up with our COVID news, we hear so little of what's going on there or elsewhere, and we pray for believers intimidated, secret believers, wondering what will happen when the Americans, for good or ill, will leave. We pray for your church. How do they bear witness to you? How do they live a life worthy of the Lord? How do they set their hearts and minds on that which is above where what's outside their door is so awful? We pray for them. We pray for your church in Chile. Today, there's a big referendum of changing the Constitution. And again, there's been riots and demonstrations. Again, tens of thousands of people on the street. Lord, we live in a world that's almost tottering at the brink of chaos. We pray for your church and for Christians in politics and in the media and in business in that country. That again, just your word, we were praying earlier that it would not return to you void. Well, Lord, we pray that in these particular situations, your word will not return void, but accomplish the purpose you have ordained for it. Even the word that we've been hearing this morning, we pray that into that country. We pray that into our own country and into the life of your church and our nation and into our own lives as we live out for you this coming week. What does it mean for us this coming week to bear fruit, to grow in the knowledge of God, to live a life worthy of Him? For most of us, it doesn't mean that we stop running about being mass adulterers or thieves or anything else, thankfully. It does mean for all of us that we grow in the likeness of Jesus. And so we commit each other. We pray for each other with these quite specific prayer pointers in mind, not just now, but into the week that lies ahead. And now may your grace and your mercy and your peace rest upon us and journey with us this day and forevermore. Amen.